our job as CPAs is definitely to help guide through, you know, what is the the best way to grow, specifically from a tax perspective, right? Whatever money we make, we want to try to save as much because I think um, Kiyosaki said it, it's not about how much you make, it's about how much of it you get to keep. And so if you can take away this, the tax drag, then now your pathway to financial freedom is maybe twice as fast, right? So you're cutting down the number of years to get there by half. But yeah, I think regardless of where anybody starts out, I mean, that's the key is you, you're going to have to start, right? Starting out first year, you know, you might not save a significant amount of taxes. I'm the first one to tell people, like, don't think just because you pay me, you hire me, you're all of a sudden going to go from a $100,000 tax bill to zero. A lot of these things will depend on how much real estate you're ready and able to buy now. And what's your growth projection? You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. And when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview, dive deeper, and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, It's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations and these amazing passive wealth principle lessons. Welcome to Passive Wealth Principles. I'm your host, Jake Harris. Today, I have the amazing and lovely Amanda Hahn, CPA. She talks tax strategy. We talk about some interesting things that like, you know, oftentimes the golden profile is someone that's a real estate professional, but many times people can't qualify because they're making so much money as a doctor or medical professional that they can't take advantage of some of these write-offs, but she dives into some detail around specifically short-term rentals that you can actually claim and, and create some passive losses and apply that against your active income. And that is something that I think is incredibly valuable for people that are paying uh, high taxes. Uh, if you're a doctor making a million dollars a year and paying $500,000 a year in taxes, like you need to start working on how you can save and reduce your taxes right away. Amanda goes into details how some of that risk is, how that profile, where you can maybe claim some of these tax savings now. Maybe you can't use them this year, but kind of accumulate them as a whole. And without having to necessarily change your uh, living or lifestyle, but just by reducing your tax bill, you can now have hundreds of thousands of dollars of more investable capital every year, and then go buy millions of millions of dollars worth of real 
estate and continue to quickly grow your net worth going from zero to $3 million in the course of a few years is totally doable if you're a high income earner. So this episode is fantastic. I'm excited for you guys to jump into it and hear all the interesting insights that Amanda has talked about. Uh, again, tax strategy, uh, an incredibly exciting episode with Amanda Hahn. Hello, Amanda. I am super excited. Uh, I've been trying to get some like super smart people that talk tax code and strategy on the podcast. I know that sounds weird and maybe it is. Maybe that's you're accustomed to people reaching out and wanting to talk nerdy tax stuff with you. But you are like this tax strategist guru you know, genius. And I've seen the way you've worked with some of the, uh, you know, most prominent people in the industry and started like preparing people as real estate investors or passive investors, and then really helping to mitigate their, their tax plans. And I was like, I'm excited to have a conversation with you. So before we get into nitty gritty tax detail, thank you for joining the show. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to be here. I'm just slightly offended by uh, the boring, <laughs> the comment about boring and stuff. The hopefully will change people's minds uh, today on the podcast and, and make taxes uh, something super exciting instead of boring. That's my goal, at least. We'll see. We'll see how we do. <laughs> Well, that's, that's, that's an awesome goal. I honestly think it's awesome because I love talking like, how do you get your effective tax rate down? How do you, you know, it's like gamifying the the tax code. And I mean, like, that's like, once you start figuring out how to make money, then it's like, how do you continue to protect this? How do you grow that? How do you do that in a, you know, within the legal confounds of, of the tax code? And so that's, that's fantastic. I'd like to start with your backstory and kind of how you came to be this amazing, uh, exciting tax professional. Um, you know, what was your journey? What led you up to that? And go ahead and take a few minutes to kind of walk through the background because I found that people love hearing your backstory and then it adds just so much more value to the real, you know, essence of tax savings. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to share my story. I think my story is, you know, very similar maybe to a lot of people that are listening with us today. Just the traditional, you know, rich dad, poor dad. We probably all read the book. For me, I had the same dad who was rich dad and poor dad. It was really interesting because my I come from a family of business owners and real estate investors. But even then, you think I kind of just grew up wanting to do real estate and build a business, but I actually did it. I was taught the traditional way, you know, get good grades, get into a good college, get a stable job. And what job is more stable than being an accountant, right? So um, so I really took that to heart. I started working one of the big four international firms um, for public accounting. And that was a great experience because I got to see and work with a lot of these huge uh, real estate investors and real estate companies. But even then, I never thought to invest uh, in real estate myself. It was just always something that my clients did. You know, like, who am I to do any kind of real estate, right? I'm, I'm just like a CPA. Um, and so it wasn't until several years later, where actually when my husband, Matt, started reading Robert Kiyosaki's book, and we said, you know, 
maybe we should invest uh, in, a, in a rental property. Who knows? Uh, we see some very significant tax savings from these clients that we're working with where they make a ton of money and pay no taxes. So that's kind of how we got started in real estate. And, you know, for us, again, like a lot of maybe newer investors, it was super scary to buy our first property. But um, I think we've never looked back since then. And I, I think I'm very fortunate in that I kind of get to combine my passion. So I have a pa- my passion is in the strategy side, like how to help people save on taxes using real estate. I love the word you were using, gamify. That's exactly like we look at every tax return profile like that. Like, here's the game. How do we solve it? How do we get the best result? But, you know, other than that, it also kind of gives me insight into people's real estate deals and the numbers. And so it does help me and my husband to build our portfolio too. Like, you know, we have that unique insight into what's working and what's not working in other people's deals. So when you started out, you're, you've went to Eucla. Uh, oh, I did actually. My husband, he just forces me to wear all that gear. <laughs> oh, you went to UNIV. He was UCLA. Yes. You were a running reb. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, so you went to school and then worked at the big four. And you said you represented like real estate investing clients. So like, was that your specialty? You started out just, you know, doing real estate clients. Yeah, it was actually not by choice. You know, when you're working in a big firm like that, you kind of, you know, get placed into different, ex, you know, specialty groups. So people do corporate stuff, people do high net worth individuals. So I just happened to be in the real estate group. So I did a lot of the, you know, very large real estate investment firms, investment companies. And then uh, my husband was on the high net worth individual group. And so there's a lot of overlap, right? The real estate companies, the real estate investors are typically the people who are the high net worth individuals. Um, so, yeah, we're just really fortunate. We happened to be there. I didn't choose it. But, um, you know, now looking back, it's helped me tremendously to learn some of these great strategies. Yeah, that's I mean, that it's so fascinating to me as far as seeing how the structures, you know, for bigger corporations, because I mean, obviously, when you have much more capital and much more income, you have, you know, nuanced approaches in which you can really move the needle. So uh, I could see how that gave you a, a significant amount of experience. But now you're out on your own. You're still not you're not at a big four. So what what was that journey to your own, uh, you know, to Keystone, you know, your own organization? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, yeah, you know, myself, my husband were not unlike most people where you kind of have this time in your life when you're like, I don't want to be working forever. You know, I want to do real estate. And maybe at the time we said, we want to do real estate. Like that's going to be our main job. We're going to, you know, invest in real estate and negotiate deals and stop doing taxes altogether. And we quickly found out that that's actually not where our passion and expertise is. Like we're not good negotiators. We don't really love like hunting for deals, but we really love doing the tax side of things. So that's kind of how we decided to start our own firm. You know, we were networking with a lot of investors everywhere and uh, we realized there was such a need. Like you said, you know, in the big companies, you know, uh, big investment companies, they have a team that helps them do everything from A to Z for taxes. But for the average investor, it's very difficult to find that. And so what we found was most people were kind of like, well, I didn't even know I can do this. Or I thought that was only for people who had huge properties. And so it just kind of worked out, you know, like we had the knowledge, there was a need. Um, and so we started specializing in real estate. And um, believe it or not, that was back when uh, at the bottom of the real estate cycle, uh, when there was foreclosures everywhere. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it's uh, worked out well. And uh, I've seen some clients flourish over the years, too. That's awesome. That's, you know, exactly what you said. I, I think this is, is a concept that I talk about is 
uh, you know, kind of going from FOMO to MoFo and, you know, that is to a modern family office. Yeah. So it's like, well, what it is, is family offices or the traditional sense. And some people don't know what a family office is. And it's not that it's kind of a loose definition, but it's like when there's a high income, uh, high net worth individual that starts bringing, you know, staff on to just service their own kind of uh, deals. But it's like exactly what your point is, is there's, you know, same tax savings and plans that somebody can do that has some Airbnbs or some, you know, your other kind of short-term rentals or small commercial deals or other things like that, that they can employ. And obviously I've seen and talked to you about some of those. And I was just like, yes, this is it. Like you don't have to have a team of 50 attorneys in your office and employing all of them. You can just go out and get the right CPAs. And that's one of the other big things that I found is CPAs all have a gradient view of the way and the tax codes as well. And I don't know if you've come across this, but uh, many, many times, most people is like, my accountant is super conservative. You know, they're just trying to avoid ever being audited. So, and, you know, they're not real estate investors. They're not real estate professionals. So they don't know what that, you know, is. And so they're just going to skew towards the, and maybe that's a personality in general that, the default of more accountants is to be more conservative, you know, kind of the thing. And that's a very viable personality, but I'd like you to kind of dive into that is like, how does you being a real estate investor, having some of those experience allow you to kind of unlock some of these tax saving values for the smaller or just starting out, you know, now they're making their million, two million, three million dollar net worth. And what is it that you guys have been able to do and maybe give some examples of that, you know, and maybe, you know, you don't have to say who it was, but just kind of, uh, you know, examples of how you've taken their investment portfolios and, and moved it up with that tax saving, you know, process. Yeah, for sure. And it's really interesting, um, some of the points you brought up, right? Because the some of the traditional strategies that are used by very high income people, very high net worth people are the same strategies that we can use as real estate investors. A couple of years ago, I think maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, New York Times came out with an article and they talked about, you know, kind of Warren Buffett, Elon Musk and a couple of people about how you know, these were people that made a lot of money, but pay very little or no taxes and using these like really advanced strategies. Right. So, of course, it was interesting for me as a CPA to kind of read through and like, what are these advanced strategies? I want to learn about it. And some of the stuff they talked about was like, you know, being able to access the gain on their companies tax free. So we get to do the same thing as real estate investors. You buy property for one hundred thousand dollars. It appreciates to $150,000. You can access that 50000 equity by doing a cash out refi or something like that. So you have access to the money where you don't have to pay the tax, right? So you don't have to be Warren Buffett to get that. We can we can also use the same strategies. Maybe it's a $50,000 uh, that we can get without taxes now versus they're talking about $50 million. But the same concepts work all the time. Um, I think another one they were talking about was like being able to write off interest on all this debt that they have. Well, I mean, it's real estate investors, leverage is like one of the key tools we use. So we can write off our interest against rental income or sometimes against other income if you're doing the proper planning. So all these, you know, like, I guess, super advanced strategies are really things that we do on a day to day basis as a real estate investor. So I think it's just more of um, from a, a typical investor's perspective, getting an understanding of what's possible and, you know, that you and understand that, you know, for someone making $50 million a year, if they save some in taxes, 
it really doesn't change their profile at all. But if you're someone who's making fifty or a hundred thousand dollars a year, and you're able to save, you know, twenty, thirty percent of that in taxes, that's a huge difference. It could be life changing because now you just have so much more money that you can invest in real estate. Yeah, and that's, I mean. You know, a lot of, uh, and to give you a little insights on the audience, these are people that are making half a million to a million dollars a year. And so they're in the highest tax bracket, especially, you know, a lot of people I know in California as well. And so they're paying like 50% in taxes. They're paying, you know, or more than that. So they make a million dollars. They pay $500,000 a year in taxes because they're a doctor or they're a sales professional and they're getting big commission checks. And so when you're now making into this, you know, high six figures, you know, and seven figures, your tax bill, like you're the ideal person for IRS, like, cause you're just getting paying the, the most amount of taxes, the highest amount that you possibly do. And you have very little write-offs on that. And so, and that's where like people come to me and they're like, Hey, I, I should I refinance my personal residence from a, you know, a 4% to 3% interest rates are there right now. But before it was like from 3% down to 2%, look, I can save $400 a month on my mortgage payment on my million dollar house. And I was like, yeah, maybe, but wouldn't it be way easier to just save like $200,000 a year on your taxes? And then you have an extra $200,000 a year to invest in other people's deals or other things like that. So for that particular, like, you know, avatar million dollar a year doctor that's paying, you know, this high income things, what are some of the actual, like, tactics and strategies that they may be able to use to start like, you know, putting the framework. And obviously they consult a professional, a CPA, you know, schedule an actual tax call. This is just a theoretical uh, marketing information, but, you know, maybe talk through some of those things that someone in that particular, you know, use case would, would be able to apply. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, you're exactly right. You know, someone making a million dollars, they're paying $500,000 in taxes, right? If you can save even half of that, if you can even save $250,000 of taxes, that could be a down payment on a million dollars worth of real estate, whether it's your own deal or a passive deal. And that's where the concept of like, you know, that's very, very life-changing. You do that every year, how quickly your wealth can grow. Um, you know, for high income, or, the higher is kind of um, an interesting concept, right? In the tax world, the higher your income is, the higher your tax rate is, the more important or beneficial it becomes for you to have tax strategies, right? Because every dollar you're saving 50 cents on it. California is a whole different story. We can talk for hours about California's crazy laws, but you know some of the pillar strategies for real estate investors, I mean, all investors, right? Even if you're a two-income household, both making W-2 income, Real estate is one of the few asset classes that allows you to create income, whether it's cash flow or appreciation, without adding additional taxes, right? So even if you're just someone working full-time, investing in some syndications on the side, I hear a lot of um, tax advisors kind of like poo-pooing that, like, oh, you're going to get a benefit. But there is a benefit, right, for anybody. If you're a hardworking doctor, if I can make another, you know, $50,000 of cash flow and I don't have to pay taxes on that, that's really awesome. Right. And that's the baseline of planning available to pretty much everyone. But if you're someone who is more aggressive on the real estate side, it's like, hey, I'm going to grow and build a portfolio of real estate uh, or I have a spouse uh, who is going to kind of be in charge of the real estate stuff. Now we're really talking about 
uh, abilities to use rental losses to offset not just rental income for tax purposes, but also taxes from W-2 income too, using like real estate professional status. Um, and that's for us, you know, we kind of call it the, the golden profile. Like when we talk to clients like that, it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> the sun shines through the clouds and now there's all these opportunities. But I think in the most recent years, we've also seen, you know, there's times when people just maybe don't want to do real estate on more of a full-time basis. They just want to, you know, they, they're passionate about their job, like whether it's a doctor or an attorney. So one way around some of these loss limitations is to consider short-term rental properties. Short-term rentals like Airbnbs, VRBOs, uh, there's opportunities for even for people who are only doing real estate part-time to be able to use some of these, you know, tax strategies to strategically create losses that will offset taxes from W-2 income or income from other businesses that you might be operating. So yeah, so many, you know, fun ways to uh, plan for these things. And, and, you know, the more income you have, the more important it is to have the planning in place. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I've sat down with some of these different tax strategy people over the years. And I mean, there's, there's so many different nuanced components of it as, as maybe a business owner, how you're structuring some of your entities, you know, as far as your, your, your marketing or having a media company, having a media company, you know, there's certain write-offs that a media company has as far as that uh, another business may not have, you know, as far as for, you know, um, and I give a, a loose example of like, they're like, all your clothing should be bought through your media company because it's for props and, you know, for other things like that relating to your marketing. And that's like a hundred percent write off, you know, there, but it's, uh, it's limited on some of those others. So it'd be like, just making sure that you're buying out of the right bucket or, you know, allocating things to the right bucket. And, and that, again, like I said, the, the, the gamification of it, and I have friends that sit down and they're like, you know, this is what I did this. And we did a con- conservation easement, or we did an oil and gas strategy, or we did this cost seg. We did, you know, some of those others, you know, all have varying degrees of success or risk to them. Um, again, this is, you know, uh, the way that you're trying to mitigate your taxes legally, but also sometimes that uh, increases more red flags. Talk to me about this. Cause I mean, you mentioned the short-term losses for someone that is a part-time investor that is creating and maybe against some W-2 without being that golden real estate professional. Um, how do you do that? What is that or what is specifically around those short-term rentals that uh, allows you to kind of create some of that structure? Yeah. You know, I sort of see it as a loophole um, <laughs> that the IRS is, you know, hasn't closed on yet. Uh, but basically they look at short-term rentals differently than they do long-term rentals. So short-term rentals, let's define it, right? Short-term rental typically means it's a property where the average guest stay during the year is seven days or less. So that's for the most part, you know, most short-term Airbnbs are going to fall under that definition. So if you have a property that is falls under the definition of short-term rentals, um, what the IRS says is that you don't have to be a real estate professional, okay? meaning you don't have to spend like more time in real estate than your job. You just have to meet one of the material participation hours requirements. And once you meet those hours requirements, 
then your rental losses can offset W-2 income, retirement income. Basically, there's no more um, limitation in terms of what type of income you can offset. So now, now, now you're saying, okay, I have these rental losses from the short term. I have W-2 income. I can utilize those to offset each other. Material participation, right? I think that's the next question for most people. What is material participation? What, what are the hours I need to meet? So there's seven different ways to qualify, but Practically speaking, we really see three that are the most common. Uh, the first one, which is the one we typically recommend people try to go for, is at least 500 hours on your short-term rentals. So when you buy a short-term rental property, you're going to furnish it, stage it, um, you know, dealing with guests, dealing with property managers, dealing with you know things on the platform, reviews, things like that. So if you have at least 500 hours, then that's it. That's all you need to do. You can then strategically create short-term rental losses. For example, we do a cost segregation, accelerate all the depreciation from the building and the furnishings and all that, and take those losses and offset W-2 or income from your other businesses. Now, if you can't meet the 500 hours requirement, there's two other ones that are still pretty common. The second one is that you have at least 100 hours on your rent, on your short-term rentals, and nobody else has spent more time than you. So the other people in this definition would be like your cleaning crew, any business partners you might have on the property, repair people. So you have at least 100 and nobody else has more time than you. Um, and then the third one we see uh, probably less frequently, uh, but we do see a couple of times a year from clients. So the third one is that you have any number of hours, but you have more hours than everybody else combined. So in this scenario, Jake has 60 hours, but you look at the cleaning crew, the repair people, they have less than 60 collectively. So meeting one of those three will allow you to use those losses to offset W-2 income. And this is, you know, again, this is a huge one for people who, are still working W-2 uh, or have a full-time business outside of real estate and maybe really just wanting to do real estate on a part-time basis, but, you know, want the cash flow, want the tax benefits. That's a really great alternative strategy. But nonetheless, I do tell my clients though, you know, ultimately if your goal is to build a lot of real estate portfolio, probably at some point, you know, you want to try to go for real estate professional status and, and grow your portfolio with the traditional long-term rental route. Like have a couple single families, trade up to multifamily, maybe mobile home, maybe shopping centers and things like that. Yeah, that's, um, I have a question about that. So you have either 500 hours that you work on it. And so that's just a cumulative, you qualify. Second would be, you said a uh, hundred hours working on the short-term rental, but you uh, don't have anyone else that's worked more than a hundred hours. So could you have a collective of like a property manager that worked 80 and a cleaner that worked, you know, 80 and somebody else that worked, you know, 60 and, you know, other things. So as long as there's collectively not someone working more than a hundred hours, or the third is just you work 60 hours and total everyone else combined didn't work more than 60 hours on your property throughout the, the entire time period. Yeah, you are exactly right. Okay. And then, so, and can you only write off the losses from that short-term rental? So like, what if you had losses from something else, some another, you know, you know, you're an LP in a deal and you are getting, you know, the cost seg benefits, you know, from that self-storage unit. Obviously that has a, or you know, has a loss, but oftentimes like, you know, doctor so-and-so can't use it. So unfortunately it does not allow you to use long-term rental losses to offset because those are two different buckets. So, you know, if you're a doctor, you have some short-term rentals, you get the benefit of those properties, your long-term rentals from syndications and passive investments, you still have to be a real estate professional 
to use those losses. So yeah, that's unfortunately the downside. But the good thing about about this is if you have multiple short-term rental properties, there are ways for you to combine your hours. So it's not like you have to meet 500 hours in each short-term rentals. So as your portfolio grows, you have more short-term rentals. It sometimes becomes easier for you to meet the hours requirements by combining all those together. But yeah, this is really, yeah, it's really exciting to talk about uh, this specific topic because this is one where we see like people making a very significant amount of money and also saving a lot in taxes. But, you know, specifically to the comment about medical professionals, because we have a lot of clients who are medical professionals, there are oftentimes I see where they're just investing passively in syndications, but there is a tax benefit immediately to them um, if they also have other passive income. And I'll give an example. So uh, we worked with a client who is a surgeon. um, And so he has his income from surgery, but he also invests passively in a dialysis center. Now he's not a nephrologist. He's, you know, he doesn't go to there at all. It's just an investment he's made in in another medical practice. Um, So the nephrology center kicks off a lot of income to him, which is passive income because he doesn't do anything with that particular business. Um, So for him, he has a lot of passive investments every year that he makes. And those losses can help him to offset the income from that medical business investment that he's made. So, you know, I wouldn't just give up. A lot of people are like, hey, well, I'm not going to get a benefit. I'm not going to do it anymore. Always take a look at the whole picture to see what are ways to generate more money and also save on taxes. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Look, two of the most common questions I get asked are, where can I find good deals to invest into? And is it possible to invest alongside of our deals as a passive investor? So my team and I wanted to put together an insider list where you can get first access to investment opportunities, due diligence resources, and best practices for those interested in investing passively into deals like the ones we talk about on the show. Those deals are mostly in the commercial real estate space, but I oftentimes get exclusive access to deals of people like the guests on my show. If those deals pass our criteria, we pass them on to those on the list. To gain access to this insider list, all you have to do is go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. We also host events, dinners, and give away VIP access to events that I'm speaking at or attending. Once again, it's www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. For those that are serious about passive wealth building, we'll see you on the inside. Now, back to the show. So you were talking about that surgeon that has, you know, a passive investment into some of the surgery centers. So he's actually not actively doing the business, but it's generating losses from that. So how can he, you know, take some of those? And then my question would be around, you know, say he's getting a, a cost seg or doing some of those other things, but not able to utilize it on that particular year. You know, can those accumulate over time and then they take advantage of it later? Or maybe they have that conservative, you know, tax planner or, you know, CPA that there's doing their taxes now. And then there's the ability to maybe do a look back on some of their, you know, previous tax returns and say, Hey, you can do X, Y, and Z and, you know, claim some of those or re get, you know, get some of those other returns from previous tax years. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you asked that question because that's it's really a really important point, right? So in, in that scenario, it's a doctor who has some passive losses already from previous years, from rentals he owned or just passive investments he's done. The good thing for anyone is those passive losses, they don't ever expire. So they do carry forward into the future to help you offset taxes from passive income. So in that scenario, let's say he just now started investing in this uh, this dialysis center, right? And, and so this year it's kicking off some passive income. He can use those passive losses from the past to immediately offset this income. So yeah, one of the things that we, um, you know, one option from a planning perspective is if you're someone who has a lot of passive losses, then one thing to do is generate more passive income, whether it's investing in a dialysis center, investing in someone, a friend's business, right, passively as an investor, or just invest in more passive real estate deals, other syndications who might have better cash flow and appreciation. Um, so yeah, there's always different ways to get that benefit. It's just a timing difference, right? If you're a real estate professional now, you get to see that huge tax savings today. If you're not, you're still going to get the tax savings. It just might be a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. Yeah, I, I love that. Is there any incidences where you've been able to do that and kind of use like lookbacks or go into? Is that part of what your business does for somebody that um, is looking to, you know, maybe it's a recession? Maybe they're making a little bit less money now and there's an opportunity for them to, you know, see what they did in the past uh, or previous, you know, tax preparers did um, and maybe talk through that process and how you would approach that with like maybe a new client. Yeah, I think for anyone, you know, whether it's you're working with us or another CPA, um, I mean, you know, the, the best way to do it is start out with a review of previous year's tax returns, right? Because for me, for example, I want to know historically, what did you do? What did you have going on? Are there refund opportunities or were there exposures where things were done wrong or could have been done better? Now, the hard truth is there are things, uh, there are instances where you can go back and make changes, like what you're saying, right? Go back and redo, file amended returns, get some great benefits. We certainly see and do a lot of that. Uh, but there are equally as many scenarios where you cannot unring the bell. So it's like, wow, you paid a lot of taxes last year, but you sold a property. You could have done a 1031 exchange, but now it's too late, right? There's there's nothing else I can do to help um, rectify that because this was now two years ago or something like that. Uh, but yeah, that's where you start. And then from a planning perspective, it's really, you know, the heart of the planning is really on a, a forward-looking basis. So, Jake, what are your plans this year? Uh, are you going to have more syndications? Are you going to buy more rental properties long-term or short-term? What states are you uh, going to invest in? Who might be your partners? And it's those conversations on what you're planning on doing that will uh, allow an advisor to look at, here are all the things that you could be doing, you know, if you did this a little bit differently. Um, instead of having them as an equity partner, maybe they become a lender to you. This will help you with more depreciation than you would otherwise have, right? So things like that. I think a lot of people are afraid of tax planning. You know, when we talk about taxes and planning, a lot of people are just kind of fearful of it. But um, once you understand that it's not your job to be the CPA, to understand all the laws, to do all the calculation, I think that lifts a lot of the hesitation for investors. Um, really, your job as an investor is to keep your tax advisors updated on what you are doing, what you plan to do before you do those things. And then their job is to help you with the options and the decide and then the decision of if you do this, here's what will happen, or you can try to do that. And this is how much taxes you might save. 
Yeah, I love that that saying, you know, things that you can't unring the bell. Uh, there's so many of those. And obviously, sometimes when it's like, you know, we're, we're now, you know, we're recording this episode early 2023. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do 1231 or prior to the end of the year that you can't do uh, in January 1st. And so I like that idea of, you know, approaching it ahead of time. And, and I'm a, I'm assuming I'm, I'm going to speculate the earlier you get involved, the easier it is for you to help people, you know, do some of these tax strategies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the conversations that we have with clients in the first quarter, right, January through March are very, very different than the conversations that we just had with clients, you know, November and December, right? November, December is kind of like scrambling time, like, okay, you thought you were going to do this, but you didn't. Now, some of the things you were mentioning earlier, conservation easements, oil and gas, you know, now we're kind of getting out of real estate and say, okay, what are these like last minute Hail Marys? that we could be doing versus in the first quarter, like this the whole year, you know, we have all year to do the right things and, and save in taxes. And I just want to bring up earlier when you were talking about the different strategies about having a marketing company and doing all these other stuff with, you know, different investments. Um, you were so excited. <laughs> and that's what I see with a lot of clients that I've worked with over the years. Like, once you're someone who's seen the tax savings, you know, they get really excited talking about it. I, I have some clients that, you know, we have mutual friends uh, that like, I really can't stop them from talking about taxes sometimes on their webinars or podcasts. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> run it by me before you say all these crazy things, you know. <laughs> I am not a tax professional. She is. She's the tax professional. <laughs> Listen to her. I just make up stuff. I'm a talking head. <laughs> <laughs> but the excitement, though, is uh, priceless, you know, just show someone who has seen the benefit of it versus someone who's kind of just very fearful of the topic altogether. Well, and it's, you know, I love that you mentioned rich dad, poor dad, because I think that like is a very common entry point for people to discover this, that, oh, there is a conversation about money and you start talking about money. And, and when you have money you have taxes, you know, you know, when you start having those conversations around taxes, what is it like? And most people fear things that they don't know. And oftentimes the, the, the boogeyman is scarier when it's in the shadows and you don't know about it and your fear. And maybe that's also, uh, again, you know, the, uh, the things that you're are inside your own head that you internalize versus when you put it out, you know, it's much different as well. And so that's why I, like having these conversations with people like you and that you're like way smarter, better understanding of these things where I'm just like, yes. And what's exciting for me is when you share these nuggets, like you're like, I've been flipping through the tax code, which is, you know, four inches thick of a book. And then we're like, we discovered something, a loophole that you can legally take advantage of that creates all these additional benefits and allow you to keep more of the money that you actually earned. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> the tax code is, uh, you know, lots and lots of pages, but uh, I don't have the book anymore. <laughs> it's all just <laughs> electronic now, right? <laughs> just in case people are envisioning me reading, uh, you know, flipping through the book. But I like that. <laughs> yep. There it is. Page 497. You get to do this. So, um, Talk me through like, you know, I know that you and we have mutual friends that um, you've kind of taken them on their real estate journey as far as along from a tax strategy planning from a few properties to now 
hundreds of millions of dollars of a portfolio and in kind of walk through that process. And maybe that's, you know, they're unique, but how could somebody else that is kind of, you know, on that journey or that path, start thinking about things from a, a tax strategy and a planning point today that is going to make it easier or at least shorten the path to where they could have that, you know, bigger vision. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, thank you so much for that validation. I have to, <laughs> I certainly cannot take credit for uh, some of my clients who kind of start off small and, and uh, become, you know, enormous. Um, a lot of that, you know, most of that is, is what they do. But but yes, I mean, our job as CPAs is definitely to help guide through, you know, what is the, the, the best way to grow, specifically from a tax perspective, right? Whatever money we make, we want to try to save as much because I think um, Kiyosaki said it, it's not about how much you make, it's about how much of it you get to keep. And so if you can take away this, the tax drag, then now your pathway to financial freedom is maybe twice as fast, right? So you're cutting down the number of years to get there by half. But yeah, I think regardless of where anybody starts out, I mean, that's the key is you, you're going to have to start, right? Starting out first year, you know, you might not save a significant amount of taxes. I'm the first one to tell people, like, don't think just because you pay me, you hire me, you're all of a sudden going to go from a $100,000 tax bill to zero. A lot of these things will depend on how much real estate you're ready and able to buy now uh, and what's your growth projection. But yeah, I think, you know, even like we have some clients now that we work with that are fairly new to real estate. Uh, I was just we're talking to one the other day. He's like, you know, uh, uh, someone in the medical profession, not a physician, but someone in the medical profession paying a lot of taxes, did a couple short term rentals. And, and really their net worth went from, you know, very little to over three million dollars in just like a year and a half. So. You know, and we also have people who work in the tech industry, you know, in California, make a ton of money, lose half of that to taxes. And they're in a worse off position than someone else who's maybe a part time teacher who has a lot of real estate. And so you're looking at the after tax effect of it. This person who makes, you know, one tenth as much income actually might have come out ahead when you factor everything in. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the things like the difference between being rich and being wealthy, you know, rich, you know, the, the tech entrepreneur tech, you know, person that's making that $750,000 a year salary at Facebook or Google or whatever, and then paying half of it in taxes versus I love that example too, is the teacher that's got a pension that has their house paid off that. The stock market goes up, goes down, interest rates go up, down, fagazi, fagazi, like whatever, but they have, you know, $5,000 a month that's coming in and that's for them to do whatever they want with because all of their bills. And so like, are they more wealthy than the person, you know, uh, that's making 750,000 or a million dollars a year? And, and arguably I say yes. And so oftentimes there's so many people that are chasing a high dollar amount or high income earning position. And I feel like society a little bit has, you know, lied to a lot of people. Go get the good job, go to the good school, get the thing. And then you just kind of keep chugging away. And then in 35 years, you're going to get this retirement. And then it's like, wait, I don't want to wait till I'm 65 years old to actually start living my life. And so now you can just kind of opt out of this system. And I love the way that you're doing that and bring back to like the team effort of this. 
you don't have to know the tax code. Like, I don't know the tax code. Like, I know little snippets of information that Amanda tells me about that I'm like, wow, that's super interesting. Like these short-term rental stuff. I have some friends that are doctors and I was like, you should get some more short-term rentals. Like, you know, call Amanda. She's <laughs> going to tell you about those things. She's going to tell you how you can save a little bit more on some of these and create some passive losses. And that's going to help benefit, you know, uh, your tax savings. So that's super interesting to me. I love the way that you're approaching that. And so talk to me a little bit more about how you as a, as a firm and from that team effort and that expert approach of that can, how you can help supplement a business owner or a real estate professional that doesn't necessarily increase their expenses, so to speak, but allows them to tap into the, the kind of the next levels of, of a team effort. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think one of the questions I get a lot or our firm gets a lot is like, what kind of people do you work with? You only work with people who have what, like, what kind of income? A million dollars of income, $500,000 of income. And, uh, the, the answer is, and this is just for everybody, right? Just whether it's our firm or any other firm, the answer is we don't have an income minimum or maximum in terms of who we work with because that part is not important. What I mean by that is if you're someone making a million dollars and you don't plan to invest in real estate, you don't plan to have a business, then it would not be a good fit for me because there's not much that we're talking about, right? Some of those investments that, you know, Jake mentioned earlier, um, alternatives outside of real estate, great, but you don't really need me to, to make those types of decisions and investment. Or you could be someone who makes $100,000 a year, but you have this plan to really grow and build your net worth to $2 million in the next two years. That's someone that could benefit significantly from planning, right? Because maybe you cut that pathway down by half or more. So, you know, the, in terms of like who needs planning, I think the more aggressive and determined you are to quickly build your real estate, the more options and the more fun we have when it comes to tax planning. Um, but I do also understand that not everybody has the budget or the need to be working one-on-one -on -one with me, let's say, for example. So that's why we have our team who are very well-versed in the same strategies. So we have different options, like you can do one-on-one -on -one planning with one of our team members. You can do like a group collaborative learning to learn those strategies. Because I think at the heart of it, the reason why a lot of people overpay in taxes is because they simply don't understand what they should be doing during the year to save on taxes. They are thinking that when I meet with my CPA in March or April, this is where I'm going to save taxes for last year. But that's not true at all. Last year already happened. When you're meeting for tax return filing, that's just like it sounds. You are filing a return to show what did or didn't happen last year. Um, so what we focus so much on is like, don't worry about the tax filing. Anybody can file the return. You just need to know what are some of the things that you need to be doing during the year, right? It's all about action. So you can read my book and, you know, understand all these great strategies. But if you don't pull the trigger, you don't have the right entities, you don't actually invest in real estate, then, you know, there's really not going to be a significant amount of change in terms of tax savings. Yeah, I think it, it was, it might have been you, might have been somebody like that. There's like the difference between a historian versus like a, a planner or a strategist, you know, as far as exactly what you said, if you're just giving someone your, your P&L and your balance sheet at the end of the year and said, this is where I spent my money, here you go, figure it out, file my taxes that's much different than somebody else that's sitting alongside you and say, Hey, let's plan out this year. And how can you maximize your tax savings? And then not only can you maximize your tax savings, but you can take that extra $250,000 you're going to save 
on not paying Uncle Sam and roll it into these other investment ideas. And you can now take that and exactly, I love that from like the zero to three million in a few years. If you're implementing some of these these policies, and, and and to me, it's like the biggest thing that I see that most people can do to to succeed is oftentimes just make more money. That's that's probably if you have a high income earning job already, you're making five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Obviously, applying and making another hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year in your income because you you have some kind of specialty and skill set, but then like immediately after that is savings on taxes because now that's going to unlock because you know another 2 300,000 dollars a year that you don't even have to change your lifestyle you don't have to change your budget you don't have to change anything else but now all of a sudden you have freed up hundreds of thousands of dollars that you can now start investing every year and like you said 250,000 dollars that can go buy a million dollar piece of property and the course of two, three years, you do that year over year over year, and then you get some appreciation. It's like, just like that, you've now made you know millions of dollars in net worth and also maybe increase some, some more equity that you can tap into tax-free. Um, I'd love to dive into a little bit. We'll take a little snippet on your book that you wrote about. And then I have a few questions. They're kind of rapid fire questions, but they don't need to be rapid fire answers. So let's take a couple minutes and dive into your book that you did write about, because I think it is one of those other great resources for people to get more than just this podcast. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my husband and I wrote two books, uh, both published by Bigger Pockets. The first one was called uh, is called Tax Strategies for the Savvy Real Estate Investor, uh, and the books are behind me. Um, and the other one is called the book uh, the Advanced Tax Book for Real Estate Investors. And um, you know, before you like start tuning out and roll your eyes, like why well, I'm never going to read a tax book, I understand that we wrote the books with almost no code sections. Uh, very few numbers. And the reason we wrote the book was because we were actually reading some textbooks. You know, as CPAs, we read other people's textbooks and all the time. And uh, we just found even for us as CPAs, it was like so boring to read a lot of these code sections. It's almost like you're just reading the IRS code. Like someone took the code and then simplified it and there it was. Um, and we thought, you know, for the average investor who doesn't understand taxes, there's no benefit. And so our book is composed of all stories, uh, actual client stories of, you know, if Bob did this or, you know, Bob did this with his real estate, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Jamie did some flips and this is what happens. And so the goal of the book was to demonstrate or, or share through stories what some of the strategies are and what the results or impact can be when done correctly. And we also share some, you know, nightmare stories about what happens when people do things incorrectly, because I think sometimes those are even more important for people to understand uh, than the good outcomes. So um, yeah, definitely check those out on Bigger Pockets or on Amazon. That's awesome. Um, I slightly prepped you for this question because it was one of the questions that you had to, to answer when, when we we're doing and scheduling the, the booking of this. But what is the one thing that you've spent money on that has given you the most time back? The one thing I spent money on, gosh, <laughs> so many things. I'm all about spending money so I can get my time back. Um, but I would say um, from a consistent basis, probably my team so, you know, nothing is possible for us here without team, right? Just like as real estate investors, we have our team running a business. We have our team. So our team helps to do what they do best so that I can focus on what I do best. And I see that as a way of getting my time back, even though it's still working. Um, <laughs> but I do see that as getting more of my time back. 
So besides your own book, what is the book that you have gifted the most to other people? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. So a book I've gifted the most to other people, um, The 4-Hour Workweek, <laughs> probably one that people talk about a lot. I just love that book. It was really um, mind-blowing when I first read it. And it's something that I try to read, you know, once a year. It's, you know, a very quick read, but I think it it applies to all facets, you know, not just real estate, not just business, also personal life too. Kind of going back to your first question, right? What are things you can do to buy back time or be more efficient? Um, and I'm all about, you know, efficiency and things like that. Well, that is, um, before I ask the final question, I just wanted to express some gratitude for you. Uh, you know, this is, we've recently started to get to know each other over the last six months. I truly am grateful for you, the way that you show up, the way that you are educating people around you as far as, and, and, you know, validating some of these ideas and also the way that you interpret some of these like complex ideas and make it so that a lot of people can understand them. And sometimes like the, the caveman real estate investor guy, and then, you know, you explain it to me and I'm like, it clicks. And it's just like, yes. So I truly, truly appreciate you doing that. And I also know that on your own kind of social media journey that you're putting yourself outside of some of your comfort zone and to see See that seeing you do that in person is awesome because I see your own growth and from the last six months. And so I just wanted to thank you, you know, so much for coming on the show, sharing this insight, sharing these years and years and decades of experience with the, the viewers on this. But then just uh, for my sake, uh, getting a chance to see and be in the front row of your growth journey is, is awesome. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you uh, for sharing that story because uh, it was it's been amazing to be uh, you know to get to know you for the past several months and um, to kind of also see your journey and your growth and um, I think you were there when you know for for me for the first few social media where uh, you know it's very outside of my comfort zone as a CPA right to be doing all that stuff but yeah um, I think you know being part of the group and uh, really has helped to motivate and elevate me and I love it you know now I used to see that as like. Oh, I have to do some social media stuff. And now I actually like it. I like being creative and being able to share stuff in a very short, very, very, very short, easily digestible. So I'm always challenged every day. Like, how can I make this very complex thing into a, a 30 second or now even like 10 second, you know, snapshot? Um, but yeah, for those of you who um, don't know, uh, I'm mostly found on Instagram as Amanda Han CPA. I love it if you want to follow me and uh, for more tax tips too. <laughs> And that, and that was my final question is, is where can people find you? And what is the ask of the audience? What is the thing that they can do to help bring some value to you? Is it a deal? Is it a client? Is it, you know, uh, some, you know, kind of thing out there, you know, out into the world? How can they help uh, add value? Obviously, we have in the show notes, the Instagram where it is, but where's other places that they can find you? Yeah, I mean, for tax stuff, um, our company is called Keystone CPA. It's funny, I never mentioned that till now. So our company is called Keystone CPA. Um, so you can visit our website. We have a free downloadable tax savings toolkit uh, that has a lot of these strategies we talked about for short-term rentals, real estate professional, depreciation, legal entities. And we also have a, uh, a self-analysis uh, where you can find out 
whether you might be at risk for overpaying in taxes. I think that's very, very helpful for a lot of people. It's a self-assessment tool. So yeah, definitely check it out there. And um, other than that, yeah, social media, I'm mostly found on Facebook as Amanda Hunt CPA and also on Instagram uh, where you can find me. And, you know, I don't really have an ask per se. I would just say, you know, if you find what you learn from me, whether it's in the book on our website or on social media, if you find it helpful, um, implement it. I love to hear your success stories. Um, if you implemented any of the strategies we share, I mean, of course, you know, share with other investors or friends and family who might benefit from that as well. Thank you so very much. This has been a pleasure. I hope this was uh, insightful for for the people listening to this. I look forward and we might have to do like a part two or coming back. You know, it's like all the things you should have done earlier in the year. This is going to air early in 2023. So hopefully you guys take some of this advice and do it. Maybe we do another you know version with Amanda towards the end of the year and all the things you should have done. But now's the last little snippet of your uh, tax savings before the end of the year, as opposed to, you know, overpaying in your taxes. Yes. Yes. I would love to do that. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.RealEstate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.